Chapter Two of the Crown of Life. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Crown of Life by George Gissing. Chapter Two. Straying about Kensington Gardens in the pleasant sunshine, his mind occupied with Daniel's information, Piers Otway lost count of time and at last had to hurry to keep his engagement. As he entered the house in Queen's Gate, a mirrored image of himself made him uneasy about his costume, but for Daniel such a point would never have troubled him. It was with an unfamiliar sense of irritation and misgiving that he moved into the drawing-room. A man of sixty or so, well-preserved, with a warm complexion, broad homely countenance and genial smile, stepped forward to receive him. Mr. Jacks was a member for the Penniston Division of the West Riding, new to Parliament, having entered with the triumphant Liberals in the January of this year, 1886. His friends believed, and it seemed credible, that he had sought election to please the lady whom, as a widower of twenty years' endurance, he had wedded only a short time before. Politics interested him but moderately, and the greater part of his life had been devoted to the manufacturing business which brought him wealth and local influence. Not many people remembered that in the days of his youth John Jacks had been something of a revolutionist, that he had supported the People's Charter, that he had written, nay, had published, verses of democratic tenor, earning thereby dark reputation in the respectable society of his native town. The turning point was his early marriage. For a while he still wrote verses of another kind, but he ceased to talk about liberty, ceased to attend public meetings, and led an entirely private life, until years later his name became reputably connected with municipal affairs. Observing Mr. Jacks's face, one saw the possibility of that early enthusiasm. He had fine eyes, full of subdued tenderness, and something youthful, impulsive in his expression when he uttered a thought. Good-humoured, often merry, abounding in kindness and generosity, he passed for a man as happy as he was prosperous. Yet those who talked intimately with him obtained now and then a glimpse of something not quite in harmony with these characteristics, a touch of what would be called fancifulness, of uncertain spirits men of his world knew that he was not particularly shrewd in commerce the great business to which his name was attached had been established by his father and was kept flourishing mainly by the energy of his younger brother as an occasional lecturer before his townsfolk he gave evidence of wide reading and literary aptitudes of three children of his first marriage two had died his profound grief at their loss, and the inclination for domestic life which always appeared in the man, made it matter for surprise that he had waited so long before taking another wife. It would not have occurred to most of those who knew him that his extreme devotion to women made him shy, diffident, all but timorous in their presence. But Piers Otway, for all his mental disturbance at this moment, remarked the singular deference, the tone and look of admiring gentleness with which Mr. Jacks turned to his wife as he presented their guest. Mrs. Jacks was well fitted to inspire homage. Her age appeared to be less than five and twenty. She was of that tall and gracefully commanding height which became the English ideal in the last quarter of the century. Her portrait appears on every page illustrated by Dumanet. She had a brilliant complexion, a perfect profile, 
Her smile, though perhaps a little mechanical, was the last expression of immutable sweetness, of impeccable self-control. Her voice never slipped from the just note of unexaggerated suavity. Consummate as an ornament of the drawing-room, she would be no less admirably at ease on the tennis-lawn, in the boat, on horseback or walking by the seashore. Beyond criticism her breeding, excellent her education. There appeared, too, in her ordinary speech, her common look, a real amiability of disposition. One could not imagine her behaving harshly or with conscious injustice. Her manners within the recognised limits were frank and spontaneous. She had for the most part a liberal tone in conversation, and was evidently quite incapable of bitter feeling on any everyday subject. Piers Otway bent before her in unfeigned reverence. She dazzled him, she delighted and confused his senses. As often as he dared look at her, his eye discovered some new elegance in her attitude, some marvel of delicate beauty in the details of her person. A spectator might have observed that this worship was manifest to Mr. Jacks, and that it by no means displeased him. "'You are very like your father, Mr. Otway,' was the host's first remark after a moment of ceremony. "'Very like what he was forty years ago.' He laughed, not quite naturally, glancing at his wife. "'At that time he and I were much together. But he went to London, and I stayed in the North, and so we lost sight of each other for many a long year. Somewhere about 1870 we met by chance on a Channel steamer, Yes, it was just before the war. I remember your father prophesied it, and foretold its course very accurately. Then we didn't see each other until a month ago. I'd run down into Yorkshire for a couple of days, and stood waiting for a train at North Allerton. Someone came towards me and looked me in the face, then held out his hand without speaking, and it was my old friend. He's become a man of few words. "'Yes, he talks very little,' said Piers. "'I've known him silent for two or three days together.' "'And what does he do with himself there among the moors?' "'You don't know, Hawes,' he remarked to the graciously attentive Mrs. Jacks. "'A little stony town at the wild end of Wensleydale. "'Delightful for a few months, but very grim all the rest of the year. Uh, "'Has he any society there?' None outside his home, I think. He sits by the fire and reads Dante. Dante? Yes, Dante. He seems to care for hardly anything else. It has been so for two or three years. Editions of Dante and books about Dante crowd his room. They are constantly coming. I asked him once if he was going to write on the subject, but he shook his head. "'It must be a very engrossing study,' remarked Mrs. Jacks with her most intelligent air. "'Dante opens such a world.' "'Strange,' murmured her husband, with his kindly smile. "'The last thing I should have imagined.' They were summoned to luncheon. As they entered the dining-room there appeared a young man whom Mr. Jacks greeted warmly. "'Hello, Arnold!' I am so glad you lunch here today. Here's the son of my old friend Jerome Otway. Arnold Jacks pressed the visitor's hand and spoke a few courteous words in a remarkably pleasant voice. 
in physique he was quite unlike his father tall well but slenderly built with a small finely shaped head large grey-blue eyes and brown hair the delicacy of his complexion and the lines of his figure did not suggest strength yet he walked with a very firm step and his whole bearing betokened habits of healthy activity in early years he had seemed to inherit a very feeble constitution the death of his brother and sister followed by that of their mother at an untimely age left little hope that he would reach manhood now in his thirtieth year he was rarely troubled on the score of health and few men relieved from the necessity of earning money found fuller occupation for their time some portion of each day he spent at the offices of a certain company which held rule in a british colony of considerable importance his interest in this colony had originated at the time when he was gaining vigour and enlarging his experience in world-wide travel he enjoyed the sense of power and his voice did not lack weight at the board of the company in question he had all manner of talents and pursuits knowledge the only kind of knowledge he cared for that of practical things things alive in the world of to-day seemed to come to him without any effort on his part a new invention concealed no mysteries from him he looked into it understood calculated its scope a strange piece of news from any part of the world found him unsurprised explanatory he liked mathematics and was wont to say jocosely that an abstract computation had a fine moral effect favouring unselfishness music was one of his foibles he learnt an instrument with wonderful facility and up to a certain point played well for poetry though as a rule he disguised the fact he had a strong distaste once when aged about twenty he startled his father by observing that in memoriam seemed to him a shocking instance of wasted energy he would undertake to compress the whole significance of each section with its laborious rhymings into two or three lines of good clear prose naturally the young man had undergone no sentimental troubles he had not yet talked of marrying and cared only for the society of mature women who took common-sense views of life his religion was the british empire his saints the men who had made it his prophets the politicians and publicists who held most firmly the imperial tone where arnold jacks was in company there could be no dullness alone with his host and hostess otway would have found the occasion rather solemn and have wished it over but arnold's melodious voice his sprightly discussion and anecdotage his frequent laughter charmed the guest into self-oblivion you're no doubt a home ruler mr otway observed arnold soon after they were seated oh yes i am answered piers cheerily you too i hope why uh, yes i would grant home rule of the completest description and i'd let it run its natural course for shall we say five years when the state of ireland had become intolerable to herself and dangerous to this adjacent island i would send over dragoons and he added quietly crumbling his bread the question would not arise again 
arnold remarked mr jacks with good humour you are quite incapable of understanding this question we shall see mr gladstone's bill ah oh, mr gladstone's little bill do say his little bill oh arnold you are too absurd exclaimed the hostess mirthfully what does your father think mr jacks inquired of their guest has he broken silence on the subject i think not he never says a word about politics the little bill hasn't a chance cried arnold your majority is melting away you of course will stand by the old man but that's chivalry not politics you don't know what a picturesque figure you make sir you help me to realise horatius coakley's and that kind of thing john jacks laughed heartily at his own expense but his wife seemed to think the jest unmannerly home rule did not in the least commend itself to her sedate practical mind but she would never have committed such an error in taste as to proclaim divergence from her husband's views it is a most difficult and complicated question she said addressing herself to otway the character of the people makes it so the irish are so sentimental upon the young man's ear this utterance fell strangely it gave him a little shock and he could only murmur some commonplace of assent with men piers had plenty of moral courage but women daunted him i heard a capital idea last night resumed arnold jacks from a man i was dining with interesting fellow called hannaford he suggested that ireland should be made into a military and naval depot used solely for that purpose the details of his scheme were really very ingenious he didn't propose to exterminate the natives john jacks interrupted with hilarity which his son affected to resent the look exchanged by the two making pleasant proof of how little their natural affection was disturbed by political and other differences at the name of hannaford otway had looked keenly towards the speaker is that lee hannaford he asked oh i know him in fact i'm living in his house just now arnold was interested he had only the slightest acquaintance with hannaford and would like to hear more of him well, not long ago piers responded he was a teacher of chemistry at geneva i got to know him there he seems to speak half a dozen languages in perfection i believe he was born in switzerland his house down in surrey is a museum of modern weapons a regular armoury he's invented some new gun so i gathered and a new explosive i'm told i hope he doesn't store it in his house said mr jacks looking with concern at piers oh, i've had a moment's uneasiness about that now and then otway replied laughing especially after hearing him talk oh, a tremendous fellow arnold exclaimed admiringly he showed me by sketch diagrams how many men he could kill in a given space if this gentleman were not your friend mr otway began the host i should say oh pray say whatever you like he isn't my friend at all and i detest his inventions shocking fell sweetly from the lady at the head of the table 
as usual i must beg leave to differ put in arnold what would become of us if we left all that kind of thing to the other countries hannaford is a patriot he struck me as quite disinterested personal gain is nothing to him he loves his country and is using his genius in her service john jacks nodded well yes yes but i wish your father were here mr otway to give his estimate of such genius at all events if he thinks as he did years ago get him on that topic and he was one of the most eloquent men living i'm convinced that he only wanted a little more self-confidence to become a real power in public life a genuine orator such perhaps as england has never had oh, nor ever will have arnold interrupted we act instead of talking my dear boy said his father weightily we talk very much and very badly in pulpit and parliament and press we want the man who has something new to say and knows how to say it for my own part i don't think when he comes that he will glorify explosives i want to hear someone talk about peace and not from the commercial point of view the slaughterers shan't have it all their own way arnold civilization will be too strong for them and if old england doesn't lead in that direction it will be her shame to the end of history arnold smiled but kept silence mrs jacks looked and murmured her approval i wish hannaford could hear you said piers otway when they rose from the table john jacks invited the young man to come with him into his study for a little private talk i haven't many books here he said noticing otway's glance at the shelves my library is down in yorkshire at the old home where i shall be very glad indeed to see you whenever you come north in vacation time well now let us make friends tell me something about yourself you're reading for the civil service i understand piers liked mr jacks and was soon chatting freely he told how his education had begun at a private school in london how he had then gone to school at geneva and when seventeen years old had entered an office of london merchants dealing with russia it wasn't my own choice my father talked to me and seemed so anxious for me to go into business that i made no objection i didn't understand him then but i think i do now you know he added in a lower tone that i have two elder brothers uh, yes i know and a word that fell from your father at northallerton the other day uh, well i think i understand uh, both went in for professions otway pursued and i suppose he wasn't very well satisfied with the results however after i had been two years in the office i felt i couldn't stand it and i began privately to read law then one day i wrote to my father and asked whether he would allow me to be articled to a solicitor he replied that he would if at the age of twenty i had gone steadily on with the distasteful office work and continued to read law in my leisure well i accepted this of course and in a year's time found how right he'd been already i had got sick of the law-books and didn't care for the idea of being articled 
I told father that, and he asked me to wait six months more, and then to let him know my mind again. Well, I hadn't got to like business any better, and one day it seemed to me that I would try for a place in a government office. When the time came, I suggested this, and my father ultimately agreed. I lived with him at Hawes for a month or two, and then came into Surrey to work for the examination. We shall see what I get. The young man spoke with a curious blending of modesty and self-confidence, of sobriety beyond his years and the glow of a fervid temperament. He seemed to hold himself consciously in restraint, but as if to compensate for subdued language, he used more gesticulation than is common with Englishmen. Mr. Jacks watched him very closely, and when he ceased reflected for a moment. "'True. We shall see. You are working steadily?' Oh, "'About fourteen hours a day.' "'Too much, too much. Um, all at the civil service subjects?' "'Oh, no. I manage a few other things. For instance, I'm trying to learn Russian. Father says he made the attempt long ago but was beaten. I don't think I shall give in.' "'Your father knew Herzen and Bakunin in the old days. "'Well, don't overdo it. Don't neglect the body. "'We must have another talk before long.' "'Again Mr. Jacks looked thoughtfully at the keen young face, "'and his countenance betrayed a troublous mood. "'How you remind me of my old friend forty years ago. Forty years ago.' End of chapter 2